The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. What's up, church? He lied to you guys a little bit. Grab your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 11, and then as you get to Luke chapter 11, you're actually going to stand with me as we read the Word of the Lord together. If you're visiting here, we do this. Um, this is something that, that many churches have done since the, for hundreds of years. It goes all the way back to a time when Bibles were much more scarce. It was very hard to even find some of the Scriptures, and so oftentimes the pastor would be the only one that had the Scriptures. And so it was so rare and so honored to be able to hear the the word of the Lord that the church would gather together and everyone would stand in honor of God's word and the pastor would read it and at the end he would say this is the word of the Lord and they would respond in joy and they would say thanks be to God and so we say that to join with our history as a church and I hope not out of vain repetition but I hope from our own hearts to say thanks be to God for the gift of his word Um, this morning we are in Luke chapter 11 and we're going to be beginning in verse 14. And the word of God says this. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For I say, excuse me, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And he said these, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you have nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we bow before you and before your word now, and we ask that you would do something supernatural. We ask God that your Holy Spirit would be in this place and move here. For Lord, there's, there's nothing I can say that would change hearts. There's no wisdom that man can pour out that can set dead souls alive. Lord, only you can do those things. Only you can awaken affections. Only you can bring dead to life. Only you can bring change and joy and hope and salvation. And so we ask God, in accordance with your word, according to your word, because you promise by your word, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. And that as we look at things that are even supernatural, that you would do a supernatural work by your spirit in all of our hearts. Lord, may you teach your people. May you grow your people. May we be bowed before you, receptive, ready to hear what you have to say, and may you teach us this morning. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Amen. You guys can have a seat. It's good to see you guys this morning. I feel like I haven't taught a whole lot lately, and that's only because I haven't, Um, but it I was gone for a little while, had graduation, then I got back, and then I got sick, and then last week was Sam's week to teach, and I was, I was so tempted to bump him. He even had an awesome text to teach and all that kind of stuff, but I remembered what it was like to be expecting to teach and have the senior pastor bump me before, and that's just a lame place to be, so I didn't have the heart to do that to him, but, um, but now I'm, it's just a blessing to be back with you guys. I love you guys. I miss being in this place. Um, today is quite a text, right? 
Kind of, a, kind of a weird one. We're talking about some weird stuff here. We're talking about some supernatural stuff here. Um, but let me give you some, some uh, background on what this is going to kind of be about before we start going word for word through some of this kind of stuff. There's a couple of guys that wrote a book, really one editor compiled a book by these two sort of sociologists and thinkers that were thinking about things like social change, cultural direction, and the education system, and how current education systems are shaping people, and what is it leading to, and all this kind of stuff. It's a boring book. You don't want to read it, but just for the sake of uh, transparency, it is called We Make the Road by Walking. Conversations on Education and Social Change. And the two main guys in this particular book that are having this conversation are Miles Horton and Paolo Ferrer something. Doesn't matter. Anyway, in this, one of them made this quote. I want to put this quote up here and I want you to think about this. It says this. As soon as I started looking at the word neutral and what it meant, it became obvious to me there can be no such thing as neutrality. It's a code word for the existing system. Okay, think about that. As soon as I started looking at the word neutral and what it meant, it became obvious to me that there can be no such thing as neutrality. It's a code word for the existing system. So let me give you an example. Perhaps someone was to say, oh, there's so much debate. What's a topic that people debate over a lot? Let's say abortion. There's so much back and forth, pro-life, pro-choice, pro-life, pro-choice. There's all these arguments about all this kind of stuff. I'm just sort of neutral. Well, he goes, actually, that's not neutral. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I don't have an opinion that needs to change things as they are currently. So while you may not be pro in terms of, so I am for abortion, you're certainly not for anti-abortion. And so if abortion happens to be legal at this time, your neutrality actually supports the status quo. Does that make sense? Your opinion becomes, oh, I'm neutral, but yet your opinion is, I don't see the need for change. And that supports things as they are, whatever the case might be. There's no such thing as neutral. It became obvious to me. It is a code word for the existing system. Well, the scriptures teach us that there's a war that's going on, that Satan and these fallen angels that we call demons, Satan and his henchmen, it's the kingdom of darkness, the scriptures tell us, the domain of darkness, as we'll see later in a text, is at war with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of light. And it is a real and significant war that's actually going on, and we are challenged by scripture to take a side. And the outcome, the effect, the, the results, the implications of this war that's going on are real. Now, the good news is most of us have read to the end of the book and we know who wins. Give me the name. Jesus wins. Say a little louder like you actually follow him. Jesus wins. All right. So we know the end, but the battle's still going on. And the implications of it, though, the result is secure. The souls of people here today are not yet. There are real and significant and heavy life and death implications associated with this particular war. And so Jesus constantly challenges us in Scripture to understand there is no neutral and to make sure we know whose side we're on. And that's what's really going on in this particular text. As he's going to go on to say, whoever is not with me is against me. So with that in the back of your mind, we start in verse 14, and it says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So if you're not familiar, Beelzebul, that name is actually associated originally back with some Palestinian gods, Baal, but it's typically used to refer to as the prince of demons, or in other words, we would refer to him as the devil, the enemy, Satan. This is who we're talking about. So here's what's going on. First of all, please know this, and we covered this a little while back, but I want to re reiterate, demons are real. These things are real. Um, th these are not object lessons for us to consider. These are not fictional Aesop fable type characters for us to think about so that we learn certain moral lessons. This is a real thing that's actually taking place. And there's actually some kind of circular wording in this particular text that I think gives us maybe a little bit of insight to what some of these demons are actually attempting to do. In the wording, we have this man who is mute or dumb, as some translations put it. He's unable to speak. But the text also, in its original language, speaks about the demon as being a mute or dumb demon. 
And so the idea is this. Mankind is created in the image of God. There's something about even us. Now, we are in a fallen state, no doubt, but there's something about us that is the image of God. And that very thing Satan is at war with. And Satan's desire is to destroy, to kill, to warp, and you might say to bend things away from the image of God and to make it more like himself, this rebel that represents death. And so here we have this case where God is a God of light and life. Fellowship is of God. If you look at descriptions of what hell will be like, you see that fellowship is gone. You see that relationship is gone. You see that light is gone. You see all these things are removed. And in this case, it's like this man who's been oppressed by this demon is being molded into that shape, you might say. And so here he is. Don't know a ton about him. Isn't able to speak. Hasn't been able. It's not that he's a man of few words. He's a man of words, but no ability to actually speak words. And Jesus comes, and he casts the demon out, and suddenly the guy's just talking. And it's undeniable that something amazing has happened. Undeniable. We know this because it says that the people marveled. They're amazed. They're looking on, and they're like, that is amazing. But amazement is not faith. The two are different. I'm going to give you an example that I found that I think illustrates this really, really well. Um, how many of you are familiar with a guy in the entertainment world at this moment? His name is David Blaine. Anybody know who David Blaine is? Some hands right here? All right, I'm going to introduce you guys really quickly to David Blaine, and I'm going to show a, one of the things he's famous for. If you want to waste an entire afternoon on YouTube, go on YouTube, look up David Blaine Street Magic. And one of the things he does is he'll just go around the street to common people, sometimes celebrities. He does card tricks. He does all kinds. Some of the tricks just won't gross you out almost. He's just, just amazing stuff that he does to these people. So I've got this one. I'm going to show you guys this one trick. And I want you to notice the reaction because when we see these amazing things, we tend to instantly go into, okay, hold on. We've got to process this for a second. What does this mean? What does this trick mean? And what does it mean about that guy? It's what they're doing with Jesus. So watch this real quick. All these, right? Any card that you want, you can have, right? It's fair to say? Here we go, watch. Take one out. Take one. Don't let me see it. Which one? Show it to them, show it to them. Here, take the deck. Mix it into the deck. Mix it up into the deck. I think he's not natural. For real. <laughs> I think he, I never believed in psychics, and this isn't a commercial. <laughs> I don't I care. Know, man, I don't even care. Sick. I'm telling you, he picked a card that was in my head, and that was real. All right. How many of you guys seen that stuff before, right? So let me tell you how we watch David Blaine at my house. We watch David Blaine with amazement. If there's a special on, I'll TiVo it. I'll record it. I think it's amazing. Did you say the card was on the other side of the glass. Don't tell me he hired the lady on the other side of the glass and she saw what it was and stuck it up there because you'll ruin the show for me. But that's what probably, anyway, like he threw it, it stuck. And then the guy goes to grab it and the card's on the other side of the glass. So I sit at home and my wife and I are watching this and we're in amazement. And then you know what we start doing? I'm like, I don't know about that dude. That dude might have a demon in him. I, don't, I mean, really? Like, there's just something, and it may be the way, if, those of you that have watched him, you know what I'm talking about, because a lot of people say the same thing. Like, there's something about the way he carries himself and the stuff that he does, and there's tricks there that I don't care what you think. There's some crazy stuff that happens, and I'm like, might be something wrong with that dude. So we'll watch it with amazement, but listen, amazement is not faith. So here's these people in front of Jesus. And they see these tricks, and they've heard about these things. They see all this stuff happen, and here's this guy who never was able to talk, and suddenly he's able to talk, and they're amazed with it. And the next natural step is to go, okay, what does this mean now about the guy that's doing this thing? We have to process this. Well, there's three possible reactions. The first, as his disciples have done, is to say, this is the Messiah. (laughs) This is God. These are the signs that we've seen of who Jesus is. And all this stuff is pointing to the fact that he is God and we must 
follow him. That's the reaction that he's Messiah. The second reaction is, as you see in the text, that this guy must be a demon himself. Because, and here's the thought process. Well, I don't want to say he's God, but that's not natural. And so the obvious leftover conclusion is it's either some sort of random trick or, or he's empowered by something else. This guy's empowered by darkness. This guy's God. He can't be God, but he's something else. He must be empowered by, as they're going on to say, he's empowered by the devil. And then the third is to go, I don't know, but I want to see some more. I don't know who he is. I'm not convinced that he's God. I'm not going to ascribe that. I'm not going to say that about him, but, but I'd love to see some more stuff. That might be the most common reaction that you tend to see in some of these gospel stories. As Jesus would do different things, he was constantly drawing crowds to himself because of the things that he was doing. Um, when he fed the 5,000, which we talked about not long ago, which really was probably more like 20,000, after he did that, here's this huge crowd of people. They come to him hungry. He's got a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread. He breaks all these different things, feeds 20,000 people maybe, and then has 12 baskets left over. And the crowd was huge. And then in John's account, he actually crosses the sea, gets away from the crowd, goes somewhere else. But they're all like, hey, where did he go? Um, I heard somebody saw him in a boat. He was headed over this way. All right, then let's go. We got to go see some more. And they go and they find Jesus after this. And in John chapter 6, take a look here. Jesus said in John 6, 21, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, here's what he means by this. He says, truly, truly, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. In other words, not because you saw signs that prove who I am. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about just tricks. He's not like, hey, you saw something amazing and that's why you're following me. When he says signs, he's like, you're following me not because you saw signs that prove who I am. You're following me because you had a bunch of bread. You're following me because I did something and you were like, hey, that's pretty rad. I don't know how you did it. I don't know who you are, but the meal was good and I'll take some more of that. So I'll just continue to follow you and I'll see that. And it's this idea of, well, he's not God. I'm not going to say he's of the devil, uh, but I sure like that. I think it's an amazement and I would love to see some more. Now we're going to hit that particular one really hard next week because we're going to move into this idea of the sign of Jonah where people are going to say, we want to see another sign. And he says, not going to do it. Here's the sign you'll get. And he's going to talk about Jonah, which would be a super weird reaction or response to some of them until you know about Jesus's mission. So we'll get into that next week. But this is what we're thinking. Three groups of people. These are the thought processes. And Jesus knows. He knows what they're thinking. Verse 17 starts out, but he knowing their thoughts. And if I can just say to you, because we're going to touch on this throughout this particular message and heavy at the end. So let me just say, when we talk about sermons and when we talk about passages that deal with someone oppressed by demons and you've spent time in church or you grew up in church or you know these stories, the temptation can be to go, that's about them. Don't do that today. This might be about someone like you in this particular case. And we'll, we'll put some meat on that in a minute. But, but here's what I want you to know. He knows the thoughts of the hearts. If you read the Gospels over and over and over, you see Jesus knew their heart. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew what they were after. Jesus understand what they really wanted. He knew the hearts no matter what was going on. And so I just want to encourage you as you're processing this stuff today. Like you can fool everyone in this room. And we can go through the motions of what actual belief looks like. And we can do the church stuff. We can do all those kind of things. And sometimes we can even fool ourselves into believing that we're in a place of safety and security and that we're okay. But we cannot fool the Lord. He knows our hearts. He knows our motivations behind everything he does. He knows why we're here. He knows where we are. So I want to encourage you. And if the Spirit should convict you this morning, wrestle with that. He knows our hearts and the implications of the things he's pushing on in this text mean everything to you. Do you understand? This isn't about guilt trip. This is about life. Wrestle with that. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a divided household falls. 
And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. So the idea is this. Satan works through and with these henchmen that are referred to as demons. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Some of you are thinking he's got a devil in him. But listen, it is completely illogical for that to be the case. Because here, listen, think about what happens. Satan comes to kill, to destroy, and to imprison. And what am I doing? I'm healing, restoring, and setting free. The results of these two things are absolutely diametrically opposed to one another. And a kingdom that's against itself cannot stand. He's like, just think about what you're seeing. It's actually really similar, if you remember, to John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist being in prison? He's the forerunner of Jesus. And he's laying there imprisoned. There's no seeming hope in the horizon for him to get out. And he sends word by one of his followers to Jesus that says, hey, are you the one we've been waiting for or should we wait for another? And what was Jesus's response? He begins to heal right then. It says Jesus began to heal, began to cast out demons, began to do all these works. And then he said, now go tell John what you've seen. John knows the kingdom of God. John knows the mission of the Messiah. John knows that the Messiah is coming to heal, to bind, to set free. Show him what you've seen. And Jesus is saying really the same thing to them. To a Jewish crowd that would understand these things, he's like, listen, Satan wants to imprison and destroy. I'm here setting people free. What I'm doing is diametrically opposed to that of Satan. And then he specifically says to a Jewish audience that if you believe this, it's going to cause you a significant problem. Because he says in verse 19, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. And this is kind of a funny little thing if you understand what's going on here. Because in that context, in that cultural context, if someone cast out a demon, that was believed to be a proof positive sign that the person who did it was working under the power of God was a man of God that God was working through to cast this demon out. And so here they are in their history using this as a telltale sign of someone who's a man of God. And Jesus is basically saying, and by the way, if I'm doing the same thing and you're saying he has a devil, then you might need to revisit some of your heroes and they might have some things to say about that. They will be your judges then. What are you going to do? And so verse 20, but... If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Hear me, guys. He's like, look, just look at what's going on. You guys are consider- you're in the maybe category. You're in the he's got a devil category. Those are not logical positions, but consider this. Don't be so quick to wipe everything out that you never even consider this because if it's by the finger of God that I do this, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what does he mean by that? Well, consider Jesus in his initial teaching. Every Jewish person in that day was waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah, the waited one who was going to come and put everything back together. And there were prophecies that any Jewish child growing up would have memorized that all the rabbis would point to. It was the hope of all the nation of Israel, this awaited Messiah, the one who was going to come and fix everything. And remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to the synagogue and they give him the opportunity to teach and to speak. And he grabs the scrolls of Isaiah. And he unrolls these scrolls. And this is the text that he reads. This is from Isaiah 61. It says this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Here's what he's saying here. He's like, guys, you know what you've been waiting for all along. You've been waiting and praying and studying and memorizing and begging God to send the Messiah. And you know what he's going to come when he does. He's going to bring good news to the poor. He's going to bind up the broken. He's going to proclaim liberty to captives. He's going to do all of these things. And then think about what Jesus has been doing all along. 
The justice Jesus is doing, it is absolutely acts of mercy towards those who are struggling, whether it's feeding the hungry, whether it's casting out demons, it is. But it's even more than that because these are the things that they had been told from the very beginning, watch for this because when this comes, you'll know the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, all this stuff you're looking at, you're trying to explain away, but if this is real, you're missing the very thing you've been praying for from the very beginning. The kingdom of God is here. What more do you want me to do? These are the things you've studied. You're seeing them happen right here in front of you. Don't miss it. He says, verse 21, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, and he divides his spoil. Now, church, hear this. Don't miss this. Remember, there's no such thing as neutral. I'm giving away the next verse, but we already read it, so it's fine. There's no such thing as neutral. There's a real and tangible, actual war that is taking place. Again, these are not object lessons. This is real. And he says, when a strong man fully armed, who's he? he's talking about Satan here. Satan is often described as um, the prince or the ruler of this world. And he says, when Satan, a strong man, has his kingdom out and he's more powerful than those that he's over, he's got his spoils gathered, he's got his kingdom all set up, and everything's secure until one who is stronger comes and attacks overcomes him, takes his armor away, in other words, exposes him, shows his vulnerability and his weakness, and then it says, and divides his spoil, takes all the spoil that's there and gives it all away. We'll consider what the scriptures tell us that Jesus does when he saves. Look at verses in, for example, Colossians 2.15. In Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, speaking of these demonic rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, speaking of Jesus. And then right before that, we'll add this other one in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Please understand the reality of this. I'm not a guy who became a Christian because I just got better. You understand? Like, I'm not a guy who was growing up and I needed to learn some valuable things about Jesus and valuable things about the Bible. And over time, I was like, all right, I kind of got my life together now because I'm following Jesus. That's not reality. And neither are any of you who have been saved. The reality is you were a prisoner, a captive to the prince, the powers of this world. You were under the power and dominion of Satan, and he is a stronger man than you. You were, if you will, secure in him in that you weren't getting out on your own. You needed a savior. And when Jesus came, man, we sentimentalize the birth of Jesus Christ. And we, I mean, you should to a certain degree in the holidays and all that. But make no mistake, it wasn't just a beautiful verse, uh, a birth that day when Jesus was born here and became man. It was an invasion by a stronger man who came and has triumphed over Satan. And what has he done? It says that he has put them to open shame. He has exposed them. It's the same way Jesus just said. He has removed the armor of Satan and shown that Satan is nothing compared to him. He has disarmed him. He has triumphed over him. He has shown him weak. He even, Satan's most effective weapon, death itself, Jesus defeated it like it was nothing. And then what does it say? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what he's talking about in our Luke text when it says, and he divides his spoils. What it means is he broke in and rescued Jeff. Jeff did not go, oh, there's a battle. I'll grab a gun and fight my way out. No, Jeff huddled in the corner and whimpered like a baby girl. Or, or boy, sorry ladies, like a baby boy in the corner, cried and huddled, and Jesus grabbed me, he transferred me from a domain of darkness and brought me into his kingdom and adopted me into his family. He did it all, I just believed and said, I'm in. Can't believe that didn't get an amen. We don't have time to go on, you missed your chance, don't give it to me now. Here's, I told the other church, I preach better when you guys talk back, just so you guys know. 
So if the sermon's lame, it might be your fault. But (laughs) this is real. I I want you to understand the reality of this. There'll be a day when those blinders are peeled back, and you're not thinking of this as, oh, it's kind of like, but you'll go, no, 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 that's what happened. You were a prisoner of war. You were in a prison with no hope for escape, and the door of that prison got busted open, and Jesus Christ rescued you. Or you stayed and said, I don't need your help. It's one of the two, and there's no middle ground. He's teaching us the reality of what Jesus Christ has done, but get this, verse 23 of Luke 11 Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Remember the definition of neutrality that we looked at in the quote before? Neutral means you're okay with the status quo. And so Jesus is saying, you're either with me, and he even goes so far as to say, and you're part of the ongoing battle to set other people free, or you're part of the scattering that keeps people lost that keeps people from having been gathered into the bosom of God and into the family of God. You're part of of that which allows people to stay in the imprisoned state as they are, who sees no problem with things as they are, or sees other options maybe for fixing certain things, but you're not part of it. Jesus says there's no one or the other. You're either with me or you're against me. And the Jewish people themselves, by the way, are going to come maybe the, the most incredible or the most accurate object lesson of this that the world's ever seen. Because within one generation of their final rejection of, of as try that again, within one generation of their final rejection of Jesus Christ, they're going to be overpowered by Rome, and they're going to be scattered, and will become maybe the most scattered people in the history of people, groups, or nations. There's no middle ground. You're either in the domain of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. And the way to get from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light is not to fight your way there. It's to be rescued by the stronger man, the Savior, who comes, defeats your enemy, lifts you out of that place, and puts you into the other. There's nothing in the middle. But we think, some people think, that there is. So take a look, verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Here, this is self-help. I can do this without Jesus type of it's people will refer to that as Christianity. It's not. It's religion. Self-help religion. I don't need Jesus. I can do things myself. So you go, okay, um, maybe I have an an issue. Maybe I struggle with this, or I have this, or this, whatever the case may be. But you know what? I can deal with that. I can take care of things. If I struggle with lust, or if I struggle with money, or if I struggle with whatever, okay, I'll, I'll put some things in place. I'll put some safeguards in place. I'll clean everything up. I can do this on my own. I don't need a savior, thank you. I'm not as bad. I'm not possessed. I'll just take care of all this kind of stuff. And you go, well, what's wrong with that? Because in the end, you actually become way more in prison than you would have been at the first. And this is what I mean by that. It's way easier to preach the gospel to a drug addict than it is to someone who's in the grasp of religion because you don't think you need it. It's easy to look at a guy possessed by a demon who can't speak. It's easy to look at those and go, man, those people need Jesus. It's easy for a lot of times for people in that position to receive Jesus. But for those who think they've cleaned themselves up and got their life sort of in order and took care of it then themselves, they don't, they don't understand that they need a savior. I mean, think of the story of the prodigal son, what's coming up. It's the guy that ended up completely bottomed out in the pig pen after riotous and perverted living who ends up understanding the grace and mercy of his father and comes home. But the one who says, I've been doing everything right. I wasn't a mess. What in the world? This isn't fair. He's the guy that's left on the outside and never enjoys the party. And he's speaking to us. It's 
it's easy to look at these stories and go, oh, demon, oppression, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's people that are out there on drugs. That's the prostitutes. That's the, all that kind of stuff out there. And forget that you might be more trapped than any of them by religion, by cleaning yourself up, by not needing Jesus, by doing all of these things on your own. We do not save ourselves or clean ourselves up. If you were at man camp, you remember this. And I need to put a link up because these teachings are available now. But Ray Ortland taught at man camp and he said this. I hope I get this right. But, but he said something to the effect of, listen, if you're so good at Christianity that you don't need Jesus right now as much as you did when you first got saved, you have lost your way more than you can ever possibly understand. But if you feel like you need Jesus more today than the day that you first met him, your Christianity is not broken. It's right where it's supposed to be. It's about dependence on Christ and trusting Christ for salvation and for deliverance. It's not about self-help. We respond and obey because of the grace and mercy that's been poured out, but it is about trust in Jesus, not some ticket, and now we go do it on our own. And sometimes we clean ourselves up to the degree that we don't think we need him. And honestly, that's probably a more dangerous place to be than the person who's in the pig pen. And he's saying, you need to think about this. And this is where I push on us as a church all the time. Some of us have heard these stories a million times. And my, man, for someone who's lost and really opens up their heart to God, church is a hospital and a great place. But I'm telling you right now, church can be a really dangerous place for a religious person because it can just lull you to sleep to keep thinking, I've got everything dialed. I'm doing everything right. I don't need Jesus. But Jesus doesn't let you do that if you trust the scriptures here. He says there's no middle ground. There's no, yes, he's God, he's king. And there's no, uh, I don't know, he's devil. Or, but there's no maybe. You understand? There's no, I'll just check maybe and just kind of keep going things through. I'm undecided. The stuff's amazing. I'm not like demon possessed. But, and, and the reason is because, man, once you recognize it, it th- think about it from these people's standpoint. They have been waiting for their king. They've been waiting for their Messiah. And here he stands in front of them. But to recognize him as Messiah and make that jump has implications, doesn't it? It changes stuff. Because you can't stand before the king and think that that doesn't affect the way that you live. I mean, think about this. When you stand before him, if you now recognize him as Lord, you got to bow. You got to obey. You got to fight. It means that he's king, not me. It means that he's Lord, not me. It means that now I am his subject. I am beneath. It means a bowing. I mean, just, I say, I've said this before. Look through the scriptures over and over at the times that the presence of God shows up. And look what happens in the scriptures. Over and over and over, what happens? People hit the floor. When God shows up and when they do even descriptions about God's glory and what's going on, I can think of one text now in the old Testament where they talk about, man, the floor was like as topaz, like he's describing the floor. And you would think you're the worst writer in the world. You are in the presence of God and you're describing the floor. What is the matter with you? To which he would respond. It's all I saw. I was on my face. I couldn't stand before him. He's God. We must bow. That day when Jesus returns, what does the scriptures tell us? One day, every knee will bow and call him Lord. And so this middle ground is often about keeping us as Lord. I'm going, I'm interested. I like what he's got to say. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a demon guy over here, but, I, I, but just let me check maybe. And I'll just kind of keep rolling along. And I'll just keep watching how things play out. And, and we'll do this. And I got time. And besides, I'm not that bad. He says, woe to you. Think about what you're doing. In the middle of all this, in verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised up her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He says, the, this is the response that you need. When you see the signs that point to who I am, when you realize this is the Messiah, he says, this is what you need. You need to first understand that you hear, not just hear the word, but you hear the word of God. He's saying, I'm 
God. Think of all the scriptures where he says, if you have ears to hear. It's not just that you heard something. They all heard it, but they didn't respond to it as the words of God. He's saying, believe in who I am. You need to believe. And then you need to follow. He who hears the word of the Lord, the word of God, and keeps it. And you go, wait a minute, Jeff, that's starting to sound like works-based stuff. You're saying that, that the way we know we're part of the kingdom of God is that we're actually, we believe, I'm, on, I'm with you on that, that's faith, but you're saying, and that we do stuff? And I'm saying, if you believe, you can't but do stuff. You can't be before the presence of the king and then go about your own thing. It doesn't happen. To think that you can be in the presence of God and then still run your own agenda means that he's not Lord. It's about recognizing who stands before you. It's about recognizing the fact. And it, it's not, okay, then I'll do things to prove him. Saying, no, that's not it. Don't do that. He's saying, understand, I rescued you. I love you. I have set you free. I have broken chains. You had no possibility of breaking. I have set you free. Understand what's happened. And when we realize that, how can we not then but give our lives to the one who gave his life for us? The whole book of James, if you want to study that some more, read that. And this is what he puts before us. You need to believe and you need to follow him. And so church, again, I'm almost done already, believe it or not. Listen. Like I said before, this might not be for who you think it is. Because when you start the demon stories, you're like, I wish we'd have brought that cousin. He got a demon in him. He could have been here this week. No, that's not what I mean. This might be for you. And I, I remember years ago, someone was like, you shouldn't keep making all of us always doubt our Christianity. I'm not making you doubt your Christianity, man. If you are saved, worship, praise God. But I will never apologize for saying, make sure you're in the kingdom of God. Know that. And understand this. So um, I went and got a haircut this week. As you guys know, um, the uh, Church at the Fair is coming up. We just started talking about that. Um, we, we did it last year, us with the Medford Nazarene Church, do a joint service together. And I always feel bad in Oregon when I say joint service. That means different things to different people. We do a combined service together um, over at the fairgrounds. And we did it last year. It was a lot of fun. This year, First Baptist Church is joining in. So now we have three churches that are going to be a part of it. There's going to be baptisms and all that. And one of the things I'm really excited about this year is that there's going to be a very intentional missional element to, to our service that day. And so here's what I mean. If you remember last year, um, you come to the service, it's like, like at 9 a.m. or whatever, because you guys do know fair week is always the hottest week of the entire year. So we start early, but this year there's going to be different missional projects and opportunities for people so that as soon as the service is over, you can actually go and do some tangible things to show the love of God to people within the fair and within the community and all this kind of stuff. And so this week, we met with some of the fair directors, and um, this one gal who's sort of in charge of things, she's got relationship with these people because the people that run the fair and the carnival and all that stuff, um, it's the same company year after year out. And it's, it's run by, um, by Christian, actually, by some Christians who even do like Bible studies for the quote-unquote carnies that kind of come around and travel with them and all this stuff. And so she knows really well about a lot of the different needs they have. And, and one of the things she brought up that we hadn't really thought about was like, look, a lot of these people, some of them are, are um, immigrants who just come and they get jobs over here. Some of them are, are people who have just kind of signed on with this. Don't think that all the workers are people who then drive their own car from place to place. They're kind of stuck with the fare as it goes around. So sometimes one of the ways you can bless these guys is, is to do things um, such as, for example, all their uniforms get washed because the company takes care of all that, but the rest of their clothes, man, their opportunities to get away and get to a laundromat are kind of few and far between. So finding opportunities to be able to wash their clothes for them or help them get haircuts or things like that is a real awesome opportunity. So we're really looking at, man, how can we set that up in advance so they know it's going to be available? And I'm really excited about some of the different things we're going to get to do. You'll hear more about that coming up. But I'm getting a haircut this week, and I'm talking to, uh, some of you guys will probably know her. Her name's Erica Clogston. Um, she goes to uh, uh, Rogue Valley Fellowship, friends of her family for a long time. So I'm, I'm there getting a haircut, and she starts telling me about this uh, thing that she does every so often because she does hair, where they go down to the park, down to Hawthorne, I think it is, and they do haircuts for the homeless people that are there. 
And so she was telling me how she did all that. And she's like, if you guys do haircuts for the fair, please let me know. I'd love to be a part of that. Um, and so I'm asking her all these questions about all this. And, and she was like, yeah, it's great, but you know, it's crazy. And if you've ever, if you've ever done ministry with the kind of the homeless population, you see everything, right? I mean, you experience everything. And um, she was there and she talked about this one guy this last time that she did it, that she was getting ready to cut his hair. And he said to her, he said, I just want to warn you, there are a lot of spiders in my hair. Just want to warn you. I was like, that's the point where I go, Lord, I'm not that sanctified yet. I'm out of here. You're just going to have to get somebody else. I'll do spiders, move on. I'll do snakes or something, but not spiders. But anyway, so she's telling me about this. And it turns out there weren't any spiders in, in his hair. He was either struggling with, maybe it was mental illness. Maybe it was drug hallucination stuff, but he would see things. You know, all, all this kind of stuff. She's telling me this whole story. So when we hear that about a guy like that, that's kind of easy, Right? Like, I can talk about that guy, and I can say, man, this, this poor guy, man, he needs, he needs the Lord. He needs healing. He needs healing from maybe a mental illness. He needs healing from maybe a drug addiction. He needs healing from maybe a demonic oppression that might even be in the form of things like mental illness or drug addiction. I am not saying all mental illness or drug addiction is demonic. Don't email me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we would look at that, and we would see clearly the need that this guy has. Clearly, right? This dude's imprisoned. He's captive to things that are, that are wrecking his joy. He doesn't look like the image of God. He's a prisoner to things, whether they're part of his control or not. This guy needs Jesus. He needs to be set free. We see that and that's easy. But here's the reality. You might be just as trapped as him. Maybe you don't live under an underpass. Maybe you're not homeless. Maybe you're not stuck in a, some sort of drug addiction. Maybe you're not having some of those things. You might be a really good church person and actually be in a worse condition than a guy like that is because you don't realize your need for a savior. So church, there's no middle ground. He's either our savior and our everything or we are. He's either our king who has delivered us that, that we depend on and walk with and learn from, or we are. And please, no matter how many times you've heard this stuff, do, as the text tells us in Hebrews 3.15, do not harden your heart to this call. Make sure, make your calling and election sure, the scriptures say. Because listen, without Jesus... I don't care how much you're cleaning up your own home. Without Jesus, you are spiritually dead. And spiritual dead plus physical dead is eternally dead. Know that. Spiritual dead plus physical dead means eternally forever with no more hope dead. And that's real. And that's a big deal. And so if you're not in that place that you need to be sure, then you need to be sure. You need to trust Jesus. You need to believe in him. You need to love him and follow him and open your heart to a God who desperately loves you and so much that he died himself on the cross to save you from your sin and to set you free. But if you're sure and you're in the kingdom of God, can I get an amen? amen. Then there's people out there that need to be part of the gather. Remember what Jesus said? That your own story of how you have been set free then becomes the testimony to the goodness of God. In the same way right now, we're using the story of a man who Jesus healed and took away his muteness so that he could speak. It's the exact same thing. You now have a story to speak. You have something to say that matters. And there are people all over the place, 171,000 people in our valley right now, that if the world ended today, they would be eternally dead. And they need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? So I want you to stand with me and bow your heads, and let's pray for a moment. First, Lord, I want to pray for those that are here whose hearts are far from you. God, this isn't about me talking someone into something. I, 
No one in this room has the ability to speak life into anyone. But your spirit does. And I pray, God, that your words combined with your spirit would awaken people to their need for you. No matter where they are, in the throes of religion, in the throes of addiction, in the throes of sin, whatever the case may be, I beg of you, Father, will you open hearts to your grace, open awareness of need, and draw people to you? May you use, Lord, those of us who are saved. May you give us a voice in the same way you gave this man a voice in this text. Lord, give us the ability to speak of your goodness and your gospel that many might be saved. I pray, God, for humility and repentance for both those in the throes of of sin that seems dark as well as those in the sin of religion. And I pray, God, for a continued dependence on you, Jesus. You are the stronger, perfect man who came, lived, defeated Satan, defeated death, and has set us free. So God, will you grant us all, continuing, Lord, help us to believe those who don't, and those of us who do and still struggle with belief in different areas. Lord, help us with our unbelief. But Father, may you use this church or these words, this text, and your spirit to set captives free. And then, Father, to that end, we just pause for a moment again and just say thank you. Thank you, God, that you set me free. Thank you that you sent your son on a rescue mission for the likes of me. Thank you that you weren't ashamed of those huddled in the corner. Thank you, God, that you didn't look at those of us who had rebelled against you and were part of the kingdom of of darkness. You didn't look at us as your enemy, but as an object of your affection. Thank you that you have set us free. Now, God, may you empower us by your Holy Spirit and the key, to be part of the kingdom of God in doing the same for others, Lord. So I just ask your blessing on your church as we go. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, guys, I'm going to be up here. If some of the other elders want to kind of just be around up front, if you want to come and just pray with us, if you're not in a place where you're sure, if you want to come receive, man, please come. Open your hearts to Jesus. Believe. Don't miss this opportunity. The rest of you, as you open up the doors, there's 171,000 people in the world around us that are not going to show up here next week that need to hear what you have to say in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God empower you by his Holy Spirit to go and do that right now, and may Jesus be glorified in all of it. Amen, church? I love you guys.